Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we've got a world first today, or an Australian first is probably more apt. Group M's new CEO, Amy Buchanan, is on her first podcast and interview proper since starting in the new gig last October after exiting Omnicom Media Group's OMD. And Pat Crowley, Essence Media's new CEO, has reluctantly emerged from his preferred decades-long keep-a-low-profile position to talk about why he's back in the hot seat at a media agency and what Group M's snappy global media brand is planning for Australia and New Zealand. Pat, for those of you who don't know, was the longtime lead on the Commonwealth Bank at WPP's Icon before it merged with AKQA Media, before it was all rolled into Essence officially on January 1. By the way, everything I hear about Pat prior to the announcement late last year that he was leading Essence was that he lived the COVID lifestyle before COVID even existed. Maybe we'll hear why he's zigging when everyone else is now COVID zagging. We'll also get an update from Amy and Pat on the current talent wars, work from home developments, big market trend observations, and what all the looming changes to privacy laws here and abroad mean for media advertising and targeting. What becomes when users can't be tracked? Essence and its biggest global client, Google, have already begun AI-powered contextual targeting initiatives with publishers like The Guardian, where the machines evaluate the context of thousands of articles and then deliver contextually relevant ads that are not reliant on cookies or personal identifiers. Doesn't sound like Google to me. But is this where advertisers must head? Maybe we'll find out. So enough from me. And to Amy first. Welcome, Amy. Three to four months in. What are your first observations landing at Group M? And is it really any different to your previous outfit? Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Look, great start. Everyone's been hugely supportive and receptive. Amazing client base, great capability, definitely work to be done. And I think, you know, the work that we're really focusing on is unlocking what it means for our people to work at Group M and to make that meaningful. What's different? I think the thing that attracted me to this role and look, you caught up with Christian late last year and, and your your piece was a big part of convincing me actually. So maybe I should blame you. I don't believe I'm that influential, Amy, on you, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, no, look, I, I think the thing that's different or the thing that really attracted to me to the role is the global ambition for Group Ham and that's around shaping the next year of advertising and making advertising work better for people. And I just feel like there's a massive gap in the market around adding purpose into what we do and making that really unlock for our people, our clients, our communities and the planet that we live in. And that's what I'm really passionate about is bringing that to life here in Oz. We're definitely going to get to that further further down the uh, the podcast agenda. It's a really interesting one. And of course, Christian touched on that uh, in the podcast last year it was on my to-do list apparently I want I want some updates on that <laughs> to Pat we'll get to we'll get to some of the meaty conversations in, in a minute but Pat this is a magic moment you're talking publicly why have you decided to step up and run uh, group M's fancy 
fancy global shop. And so we were just talking about it. You know, Essence's former CEO was Christian Jewell, now Group M's global CEO. And Essence recently landed uh, Google's global media account, digital and legacy media, I think before it was just digital, uh, which means I guess, I guess, you know, Essence is doing something on the bleeding edge. Um, so no pressure, Pat, I guess. Um, but what is it about Essence that is different? And, and, and why did you come back out of, I don't know, a cave? Thanks, Paul. Um, it's, it's an interesting question, one I've had a lot in the last three months, because you're right, I have had an amazing last five years running the bank account, but I must say I've been running the bank account for 17 years and the beautiful part of my new job is I'll continue to run that, right? Um, That business is very, very close to my heart. I care a lot about it, so I will stay actively involved. And part of the reason I said yes to this job is I've built a job role in the leadership team that's going to allow me to still focus on clients. And that was a non-negotiable between Amy and I when we stood up front. So um, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I wanted to say is I haven't just been running the agency the account for 17 years. I did have a long period of time when I ran Icon Sydney. That was a seven-year tenure True, right. um, before I kind of wanted to get back on the tools. So, so that, that experience was a different one. Um, so when this proposition came up, there were four things, and this is what I've told staff and clients essentially in every conversation is that there's something about the Essence business that the fact it's grounded in data, tech, and analytics and actually a really exciting piece of software in my opinion, sets us up to become the agency of the new media generation. Um, We're not a business going from legacy into digital. We're going from digital and bringing in the legacy matchup, right? So I believe that's a really powerful thing with where the world's going. Uh, The second thing is that most people know um, I was obviously very close to the founders of Icon, right? And most of us back in the early 2000s that bought into Icon, we bought into that business because of the pioneering spirit of Gary and Simon. And I think if you spend over a decade or almost 20 years inside a company that begins to be part of you so when i began to understand the journey of essence and where essence came from they've come from a very very similar place just a few years later right so that culture in my opinion pioneering challenging the norm doing things differently shaking it up is the second reason i said yes um the third reason was for 20 years, I've never been close to a holding company, right? We've always been at arm's length from Group M, even after the acquisition of STW and the WPP, UANZ. Like, we've always kind of been there, but never really seen under the hood. And I do believe that to become a top-end-of-town agency, servicing enterprise clients, publicly listed business, big clients, we need the support and scale that Group M and Amy's team can give us from data, from tech, from investment, from information, from IT, from all of those factors. So I think that sets us up also and our clients. Um, and finally, it was it was working with Amy. I probably, because I don't go to a lot of things and I didn't talk to a lot of people, Amy and I had never met. Um, or maybe we had a couple of times, Ames. But as we started the conversation, we really connected as humans, right, not as colleagues, not as bosses. I mean, it's crazy to think some people think we're already brother and sister, which is a weird kind of inside joke, but really, really familiar spirits and familiar approaches to pretty much every conversation um, we have. So that to me was really, really important. I've kind of been my own kind of advisor on my destiny. I haven't had that many, let's not call them direct formal bosses um, for quite some time. I worked very closely with Mike um, Conahan back when he was in the business. But 
moving into this new world, I kind of was inspired and wanted to learn and work closely with someone new, and Amy's been amazing. So does it mean, uh, for, the, for the listener, uh, Pat is very technically savvy because he's wearing a cap at the moment, So, and also you surf. So what I want to know is, is Amy going to start surfing and wearing caps, or what happens there? Is there, is there anything going to go? Are you implying I don't surf and wear a cap? <laughs> it's a fair point, Amy. I did assume. Yeah, I tell you, I've got to mention that most people do know me for wearing caps every day of my life, and... I've got to give a shout out to Peter Vogel because every time I see PV, PV asks me to buy him a hat. And PV, publicly on the record, I'll buy you a hat. There we go. We'll see what, I want to see what that one is. There is a big shift here, Pat, though, in the end because Essence is a global company. You're, you're, you're back in, in the firing line and there's going to be a lot of stuff good that happens but also plenty of pressure. At, you know, whatever, you, how old are you up? 65. You want that pressure now. Is that like you're up for that? And why are you up for that? Yeah, I am. I, you know what? To be really personal and human about this, I've got two boys that are almost adults. One is an absolute adult and one is 16 and a half. And I made a choice to spend as much time as I could with my children through formative years, um, doing a really good job on the tools. And they've left us now. Um, My (laughs) wife and I look at each other on the weekends and there's no one around. So I actually do feel like I can give it the energy and focus that it requires. And it's exciting, right? I it's exciting, it's challenging. Yes, there's pressure, but I'm feeling good about it because there's space in my life to deliver upon it. Yeah, good, good points. Um, um, I can't wait till I've got one to go as well. I can't wait for them to go. Three years counting. <laughs> I've Amy, only got 16 years to mine. No, don't, don't count it. Don't. That's right, you've got youngies. So, Amy, Pat's made some really interesting points there and, you know, more broadly in your Group M role, you know, you've got at least four agency brands in this market, Essence, Mindshare, Wavemaker, Mediacom. Is there a really a difference between what they do other than serving? You know, at one time it was a sort of a conflict avoidance strategy having multiple brands. But what is what does the Group M CEO do now with the positioning of four different brands and what, what, what they become? I think it's a fair question if you're saying do they offer similar services? And yes, look, they're all media agencies and they all service clients for their media capability. How they go about it and the way in which they deliver those services is fundamentally different and has a very different strategic approach in, very different cultural nuance, attracts a very different talent pool. And you can walk into any of those agencies and you feel like you're in a completely different business. Uh, And it's sort of astounding to me that they are all part of Group M. I mean, Essence has a very entrepreneurial spirit, very sort of cutting edge, mindshare, highly strategic, very focused on how they drive good growth. They are all unique. I think, and Pat touched on this, I think the point of difference for Essence is slightly different in that it's not just the way in which they offer services, it's the way in which that company has been built. And it's been built very much digital from digital out, um, based on software and humans, not just based on human capability. And I think it's built in a new economy for a new economy. And that's what sets it apart. But yeah, all very unique, very individual businesses, as different as an agent, another agency and another holding group. There's, there's actually, you could walk into any of them and go, am I in another holding group? Because they feel unique. And because of that, you're saying different clients will, will gravitate to, to, to different offerings because of, because of that? Don't get me wrong. Conflict plays a role in it and it'd be, it'd be avoiding the truth of it that you, you do sometimes use that as a lever to navigate the way that you're managing the portfolio. 
but like today I had a conversation about a new business pitch and a massive part of it is what's the capability they're after and who best fits it and what's the cultural fit that we're looking for and who's going to mesh with that client and, and, and not all agencies play in the same space and that's not even unique to Group M. I'd argue that's the landscape. You often wonder why people win and lose business. Capability is a part of it but the cultural fit's huge. And and it is all unique. And, and and Pat, I think the other thing that I'd say, and Pat, I mean, Pat's very generous and the feelings are really mutual about working with Pat. You know, I a big part of this journey being so fun is the leaders in this business. And Pat and PV and Katie and you're on, I mean, it's just been such a um, eye-opening experience for me to see how that exco comes together and really supports each other. I've never seen anything like it, to be perfectly honest, and it's a credit to them as individual leaders, and they've made that a really pleasant experience for me. Again, I think it talks to their respect and the uniqueness of each of those businesses and how they come together in part of that holding group. You said earlier, and we'll get back to Pat and, and some Essence stuff because I'm, I, you know, it's a, it's a lesser known brand in this market. So you know, unpacking what Essence is about um, will be helpful for me, if, you know, if not my listeners. So you know, sorry about that, dear listener, but I need to understand it. Um, but you did say earlier, um, Amy, that you know there's still work to do uh, in at Group M, and some of that was around culture. Is it just around culture, or what is the work that what do, what do you see? Um, what does Group M look like under you in 12 months' time? 18 months time where do you want it to where do you want it to be look i've been really overt the group m's here to service the agency brands and another part of christian's strategy that appealed to me was that it's we're only successful if those agencies succeed with our support so i think getting back to that getting back to how do we add value to the agencies where do we show up and how do we support them has been a big part of my early journey I, i think culturally the thing that i felt coming in here Everyone was hugely welcoming and lovely. It felt like under the last 12 to 18 months, it had lost a little bit of the humanness and warmth that that makes people want to be here. So a massive focus for me has been about getting the people and culture right. Um, Scott coming in as the chief people officer it was a you know massive part around hiring someone that could speak and build programs for 900 people, not 12 people sitting on an exco. And he's he's making a big impact and galvanising us around that. But yeah, I, I'd like to think in 12 months' time that people go, Group M's a better place to be. And under Ames's leadership, she's made Group M work better for us. And whether that's you're sitting in an agency and we're delivering better outcomes, better work, better capability, or, you, or you're just an, an individual in our business who feels like you're getting more support, more care, more nurturing, or our clients, you know, at every spec level of that, I'd hope that that they're going, you're showing up well and you're developing the things we need. Before we get back to Pat, one more. Is that, you know, during your tenure at, at OMD, transparency was a big caper of yours and it was, a, it was a, a winning piece of positioning really in the market and OMD did very well. Historically, Group M has had maybe been slightly challenged on that front historically. How, are you comfortable with like w- where Group M sits now and, and what's happened historically and what you're going to try and do with it and what you're allowed to do with it? Yeah, look, I, I, and I, it was something I pressure tested a lot and you, you do create a lot of fear, I think, in yourself almost when you go on these journeys that the, the opposition is the mortal enemy and all must be evil. Um, 
and I pushed Christian a lot on. I said, "Look, this is what I'm about," and and he was really open. He goes, "You you know that that's yours to do what you want with it." I've actually been a bit blown away. I mean, there's still stuff that I'm going, "Okay, I want to shift that from here to here," and we're working through some of that. But the level of compliance. And I don't know whether I'm celebrating this or dreading it. I've never seen anything like it. Like, I can't even go to lunch without registering it. I mean, it's if you speak about a business that potentially has been really tarnished in the past and and had to put in a lot more structure around it, this is that business. Is there work to do to think about how we build our products in different ways? Yeah, there is, and and I'm and scope. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to build something that's different? Yeah, I am, and I'm. I mean, Pat and I have got a massive program of work underway around looking at a lot of our tech products and how we unbundle them and position them differently because we're both really passionate about that. I haven't changed. I'm still the same person. I want to stand in front of a client and be able to speak with full authority and passion about the service that we're delivering. But there's some work to do on the conversations we need to have with clients around those commercial models to enable that as well. And I mean, Paul, you know my beliefs on this. I've gone really hard on it. Um, it's probably the big one of the biggest projects we've gone underway at the moment is unpacking what those models look like. Where are we sitting? How do we have we got the right level of capability? And I mean, all through this business, we're doing work on you know upskilling, bringing in new talent, and a big part of that's that we need the right people to deliver the right product to get the right outcomes to have the right commercial discussion. So, yes, underway. Can I make a point there too, Paul? Um, the, the, the conversation around the old icon business joining um, Group M is not a new one, right? It went on for many, many years. And and one of the fundamental points of resisting that was the group trading model. We have a very unique approach to dynamic trading and net, and channel neutrality. So even the fact that we've come into the group and that was a non-negotiable and accepted demonstrates that this is a different group, I think, new to the group than it was five years ago. I really do. And that was a non-negotiable, we're in the group, we're under the hood, but we continue to transact with our media partners in the way we did 22 years ago. And we will not force any client yeah. Or, yeah. or the Essence guys to move that model because it's what that client base is bought, bought into. And it's and if anything, we're going, well, there's learnings on how we look at that across the group. And sometimes the you know group-led works and sometimes agency-led, sometimes client-led, but the flexibility to look at that in each individual case is like Pat has my absolute commitment. And I think we're very, from a values and ethics, transparency, positioning point of view, very aligned in our thinking. Well, so, you know, there's form uh, in any sector, not just, you know, media or media agencies. There's form in any sector. Sometimes there's a bit of pain to leapfrog or get the next, get to the next point of innovation and renewal or transformation. What happens if you have to do some things, Amy, that means your profit goes backwards? Are you allowed to do that? Do I, ha- do I have a target? Yes, I have a target. There's a thousand ways to get to a target is, is my view. And the conversation I had really openly – um, I've had it to the whole business, but I had it to the global team. Is you keep asking me um, why Group M potentially isn't as consistent as it should be, and consistency and sustainability was something that we've long I've long spoken about in my previous role. And it's the conversation I had with them is we need to build we need to be building for agencies, not building for the next pitch. And that's my fundamental belief of where agencies potentially get it wrong. That's not a one year journey, and they've told me that they fully accept that that's not a one year journey. If I'm if I 
half this business in the next year? Will I be here? Probably not. But if I miss a few bits and pieces and I have to massage through to get there, I think there's a complete appetite for, for that. And it, You talked about the target, Amy. You talked about the target. What is that? Oh, my target, as in what is it specifically? Yeah, yeah. What's the number? <laughs> Good try for. I knew. It's not bad. It's no worse than I've ever had before. Let's put it that way. Okay, great. Well, look, look there's, there's so much territory to cover there, but I think we've, you know, we've got a, a sense of it and we probably will dig another time into, um, into what that could mean and what that looks like. Um, Pat, I just want to get back to you before we get to these macro industry conversations. In the sort of the icon to AKQA media to essence transition has it created any 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 turbulence uh in at least with people or with the with the with the client base i know there's been a few accounts that sort of have gone left or right subway one of them um but and and there are rumblings by the way that that, you know the digital trading platform that um essence uses for google and other clients globally is not going to be deployed or is not deployed here yet is there anything in that and and in the turbulence oh there's lots in that paul it's probably a half an hour conversation (laughs) but um look turbulence is a thing that anyone that's been in this industry for 25 years has dealt with every single day regardless of name change you know we live and work in a turbulent environment um obviously during the changes there's slightly more turbulence but i would say that um we've come through that Uh, we have complete buy-in from our clients and our staff and i would put that down to the fact that probably why you've never spoken to me on the record is i'm a leader that has always focused internally on people and day-to-day contact with clients, right? We're a service-based industry. Clients need us and want to hear from us. So I'm better off spending more time focusing on them than in all due respect, focusing on you and speaking publicly. And that's not, that's not a, that's not a job, but I think. You can manage turbulence. Oh, I think it is, by the way, but that's okay. I'll get one back at you. Yeah, I bet you will. We can manage turbulence with transparent, honest, and constant communication, and that's what I'm doing to the best of my ability. Um, Second question about the Google, the the digital trading platform. Mm. Um, Look, I think you're referring to uh, to Olive, which is Olive is a software that was built by the founders of Essence, and and Olive is the backbone of that agency, and. There's no question that's not deployed here. It is the spine of the Google and the Airbnb business. And ultimately, we will deploy that where and when within our incoming clients when it's right in their digital transformation process and how we work with them. We all know that every client's on a different journey there on a scale. Um, some will be interested on day one and some will be interested on day 30, right, on day 300. Um, it's the ambition, yes. It's deployed, yes. It works. We've got a bunch of people working in it today. Um, so there's nothing in that to say that it won't be deployed here and it won't be a really critical part of our business moving forward. So why wouldn't other clients want Olive? It, it depends on your martech and ad tech stack and the partners you work with right this is a it's right. a very because it's a google focused stack is that right yep yeah but with apis into 16 other platforms i think my numbers right remember here i am like a newcomer to essence right i've been mm. employed by essence for 12 weeks so i'm on the journey as well um yeah. but as i understand it they're the, they're the limitations but it will be look we all know that um Google do play a really big and important part in the MarTech and AdTech stack, right? And more and more clients are using them. So we will we will tailor our services to where and how we can use um, Olive with each client independently. Final question to 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 Amy in terms of essence versus well, so you you talked about not you not wanting your agencies to be 
pitch focused. Um, and so, what is the what is your expectations for twenty twenty two? I think that's what the year we're in in terms of new business and pitching and so forth. Do you do you want for for Pat and and the rest of the the, the CEOs of your brands? Do you want them um, out there focusing doing? You want some new business, don't you? It feels like a trick question. Uh, yes, I definitely would love some new business. Uh, look for Pat. Look, we've been really open and honest with the whole business that for essence this year is about stabilisation. Get under the hood of essence, build the proposition, get the leadership team right. We've had massive sort of focus on the structure and the leadership team, which you've seen some of the announcements and you'll see some more to come. Um, For the rest of the business, it's about sustainable growth. Yeah, we want to win new business, but it's not pitching at everything. It's, It's not going after everything. It's about the clients that we want to work with. And we don't need to, you know, we don't need to pitch in every pitch this year. We just need to pick the ones that are going to, kind of set us up for where we want to go so sustainable growth okay so let's get into some of those those broader uh, macro themes that we mentioned up front and and you, you brought it right to the to the to the fore amy and i'm glad you have both you and pat seeing the line on this you talk about purpose christian jewel in the podcast last year talked about esg and sort of did, you know buying and defining and planning media based on sort of carbon footprints and what well, esg policies and environmental social governance and so forth but um, the purpose bit. So, what? How does that work in reality? Not just in culture internally for what you're producing, but also what you're doing in terms of the decisions you're making on channel and and media. And does it flow through that far? I think at a macro level, the work that we're doing, and, and I'll be really honest with you, we've been given this incredible global vision. At the moment. Ha- how we are making advertising work better for people in this market is not really clearly defined. So the work we're doing right now is that. So in about two weeks, we'll go out to all staff with this is how. And one of the big pillars will be sustainability. That'll be through the lens of a carbon uh, carbon calculator that will enable us to basically rate where a media plan sits. We've also got a massive program of work going on with our programmatic supply chain where we're looking at how we offset all of the carbon that's used in that to make you know all of our programmatic media net neutral so that's you know one of the programs of work then we've got from a people point of view a big play on uh, diversity inclusion which we're working through a big charter of work on um, we've also got a partner partner piece where we've just gone out and spoke to our top 10 partners to understand how we can be a better partner to them. Uh, There's a big piece of work that's gone in the last two weeks where we've run a showcase across every agency, um, all the partners in the industry so that they've got, a, I guess, a a platform to tell us what's happening in their business and how we best work with them. So it's it's pillar by pillar and building out a really tangible plan so that everyone in our business understands the role that they're playing. And yeah, it's a progress. It's in progress, but it's not fully baked. But it, it, to your earlier question around ESG, a huge part of that will be how do we help clients navigate from a media planning point of view, which suppliers best stack up. I think it's worth saying there. Sorry, but... Um, Ames, it is, uh, it is a bold vision, and, and I often think with visions, there's no end point, right? So that is going to evolve how we deliver upon that vision ongoing forever. And I think this conversation, if we fast forward four years' time, will probably be just at another point in the journey, right? But it's, but it's, it's ongoing, and, and visions that don't end are the most compelling and the most um, convincing visions, I think, for our people. Yeah, but we want our people to get into the lift and go, this is, this is how Group M is doing it, and this is my role in it. And I think... 
many visions fall over because they sit on a wall and no one feels a part of it. And 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 I believe what really struck me about this is that it kind of has meaning to everyone because of the broadness of it. Like making advertising work better for people has a client implication, a partner implication, a planet implication. Like you can stretch it to be on all facets of our business, no matter what role you're in. And that that's pretty rare. It is. And so planet is a super stretch though, right? It's a big, that's a big hairy ambition um, to be, to be um, uh, pursued for sure. But realistically, how does that play out? So, you know, when, when, when we spoke last year to Christian, he talked about, there is the possibility that some media channels won't be on the mic, uh, won't be on the, on the plan if they don't hit certain ESG or, or carbon, whatever that, whatever um, targets you've got, objectives you've got, but that's a big call. And so can you see that realistically in, in the Australian market happening or uh, with a time, time frame on it? I can see that on a client by client lens. Like my view is we can't force a client into aligning to our belief, right? Each brand has – it's like brand safety. Each brand has a different appetite for risk. In this space, each brand has a different appetite for sustainability and are on a different journey themselves. So I think that's an individual client by client level where you may end up with the parameters of this is the sustainability framework for you. This is the lens you're willing, the, the degree you're willing to go to and the extreme of where we stop and start. And some will be really far on the spectrum where they'll be like, I only want to be in in publishers that, that, that deliver to that. And some will be our, you know, why our business isn't there? So why are we why are we being so strict? And and it's our job to help navigate and curate that. Hashtag we love plastic would be one client at one end. Was what you're talking about, Pat? What's your take on that in terms of delivering? I think it's an ambition we have to have, right? Um, all of us, in regardless of industry and regardless of whatever corner of the globe, we've all got a responsibility. Maybe this is the hippie in me that's been in the rock for 10 years, but I, I believe it means a lot to me that even if we're making a small move, we're making a move. And I think the 1,000 people in the group that work for us all have a very, very similar feeling that it's our responsibility as humans to have a position the other point I want to make on that is I believe carbon credits are going to become a fundamental part of every single business in this country moving forward. It's going to become a part of the accounting exercise, right? It's going to happen. So if we don't start thinking about it now and planning for the future of that, we'll be left behind when it's when it's a part of running a business. So what does that look like? What is it? A, is it a group M? It's an offset. Yeah, it's an offset. Carbon credits, which yeah, is what we're, yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, we're, we're we're well on the way to that. I mean, the programmatic product that we're working on is almost that squarely. And then the choice becomes: do we offset it, or do we ask an advertiser to offset it, or is it a bit of both? And and look, I'm with you, Pat. I'm hugely passionate about it as well. I, I just think you're going to get clients, at, at, like you talked about with technology, on different degrees of that. Some of it's easy for us to stump up and go, we're happy to implement that across the base. And other parts will be harder for us to navigate. But you're right, it's a journey. We need to be on it and we need to be leading and not waiting. And I think where we're at, in the next six months, we will have two or three products that are a, 
actual tangible step forward to this and not just theoretical. Yeah, the fact that we can print billboard skins on fully recyclable com- com- compostable, I reckon. But yeah, that's that's the word. But the fact that we can do that now, we should all be having conversations with our clients about that because that makes a small difference to the to that ambition and that vision. No, that's great. So and so, just quickly on that one, partners. So media partners, tech partners, um, where do they sit in it? There'll be a few nervous Nellies out there, surely, because and if you talk to the broadcasters, they'll they'll quietly admit um, that sometimes you know creating content through uh, with, with on sets and out and about is quite carbon heavy they may want to do it but gee there's a big cost there and then it gets to back to the media agency and what you're prepared to pay to get what the rates are to get to that you know carbon better carbon product or a better ESG alignment um, there is a cost here I'd imagine early at least there will be and not all things will, will be equal is, is sort of what you're saying it'll be much easier for some than others and the overlay and the complexity of this is at what point are you going to compromise on scale for, for suitability and alignment? And I, that's, again, why I go, I don't think it's a unilateral one-size-fits-all. You're going to have different clients willing to take a stand faster, and some won't. And we've seen that. We, I mean, you and I have had these conversations over the years about lots of different topics around which brands are willing to be on board or not on board. I don't see that this is any different in that some will invest ahead of the curve and will want to put, put their money where their mouth is and it will be absolutely key. It will almost be part of their, their, their strategy, I imagine, the same way that we're seeing uh, brand responsibility from a diversity and inclusion point of view and what, cha- what channels are you supporting and what content have you got and who's in your ads. It's, it's not too dissimilar to me, but I think it's going to take time. Amy, let me get your first um, thoughts on the talent wars. You've been raiding the old place. Um, That's certainly what I can see anyway, but everyone has, by the way. There's a lot of – just, you know, to be be, uh, real about it, there's a a talent – you know, um, dearth out there. So where does this end up? You know, um, what happens in – it was interesting. A conversation I had a couple, couple of days ago was, you know, basically there are people that are being perhaps over-promoted uh, uh, in their roles because there is a dearth. Now, um, you know, as the, as the borders open up, maybe that sort of um, subsides a little. But there's two questions I have on that. If people are being over-promoted, what happens in – you know, what's the play out of that? Does it, is it an inferior – uh, delivery or service initially, and then do those people that have been thrown in the deep end, does it end up that we, instead of relying on bringing in overseas talent, you actually build your own like we used to, like this market used to, like every market used to have, a, a, you know, a magne- you know, really substantial training programs. So, you know, there's a kind of bunch of questions in there, but take which one you like first to answer. Let's go for the raid first. Don't we want the raid one first? I think it's an interesting sort of collision in the talent space at the moment. It's almost like it's all happened at once. So you've got this weird dynamic of a 15 to 20% capacity gap in the market, just not enough people to fill roles because of borders closing. You've got churn like you've never seen before. You've got a sort of socio-psych psychology piece going on with people where the only thing they've been able to control is their career you know you're either your marriage or your career are the two things that you could actually change in the last two years you can't go anywhere and a lot of people changing jobs right I think what we're about to see is that great resignation move into a great migration a lot of people who haven't had a gap year haven't traveled are going to want to go overseas so I don't see it getting any better from a movement what I do think is happening and you touched on it there is the re almost the re 
instating of so much that we used to have. So grad program, first time we've run a grad program in two years, we've had 45 people in here in the building, whispering in the kitchen, going for pizza. Um, and it sort of makes you realise that there's a whole generation of people who've started in this industry that haven't had that community. And we've been talking about this a lot, going, yes, there's people being promoted, as you've said, potentially outside of their depth, but there's also a whole group of people who haven't had training in the, in the ways that we normally would have experienced, haven't had a community, haven't had a peer group. So I think we need to get back to why have people like that joined this industry? How do we bring back the good parts of what we've always had in this industry around peer group, around a collective, around belonging, but do it in a way that's set for where we're headed. And a lot of the work we're doing at the moment is around the future of work and what that looks like. What are the cultural moments that matter in our agencies? How do we collaborate? How do we individually take the flexibility that we've had in the past and take it forward in a way that's for all, not just for some? Because I think a lot of programs that are set up are, you know, the exco can do whatever they want and the rest of the agency is told to come in for three days and stay at home for two days. So we're really doing that. Our view is if we set ourselves up in much more of a future facing way, we get the training right. We're doing a lot of investment back into hard skills, which I think has been lost a little bit on the job. You know, the soft skills of teaching people how to manage people remotely, I think we're doing an okay job of. But the fundamentals of what you learn working day in and day out in a media agency have been harder to do remotely. So that's where our focus is. Do I think that people have been promoted potentially before their time? Yes. Do I think that's always happened? Probably a little bit. And I think some people sink and some people swim. And, and we need to just do our best to support that mid-range that I think have probably have, have been a little bit left to their own devices in the last couple of years while we've all been at home. Pat, you got a take on that? Yeah, my take is um, exactly – I, I echo what Amy said. I, I think we've always been in an industry that's dealt with these ups and downs of resource troubles, right? It, it's always hard. Talent's what we sell. They're, 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 our, they're our asset essentially. But for the first time ever, I'm having conversations with clients who sit there and nod and go, yeah, I've got 15 jobs open too. So it's, this, it's, it's an economically wide issue that everyone – is struggling for talent. So that, that's not a cop-out, but I think there's a common understanding between clients and agencies that we've got a bit more le leeway in the understanding of it's really hard. Now, look, that jobless rate of 4.2% yesterday, right? That's, that's, it's never been as low, right? So we've got, we're all feeling it together. And therefore, I don't think we're getting, um, we're getting a, a, a little bit of an easier way through it from a client's perspective because it's it's a common problem we've all got. There's some empathy there, right? There's some, there's some empathy, yeah. Yeah, there is. The whole market's grappling with it, yeah. So that's, that's just my take on it. When we're talking about, um, you know, over-promoting and um, the soft sort of investments that you talk about doing into people, one thing that I still grapple with a, a lot is pressure versus mental health. Pressure, you know, some, sometimes pressure actually makes you a better person it expands you and you, you know any sort of sense of pressure can sometimes be put down to um a mental health um uh subject or something to be dealt with and uh again as i said um i could be right on a limb here any thoughts i think some of it's the context because if you'd said to me three years ago we'd had this conversation i probably would have been a bit more black and white on it i think the difference that we've seen in the last couple of years is the way that pressure's being managed is more challenging. When you're sitting at home and things are getting piled on you, and in some instances you've got a kid climbing on your lap, and I mean the the level of stress that we've been under 
trying to balance so many things in the last two years with the context of a 15% capacity gap and a 30 to 40% churn and all of this other stuff going on, it doesn't surprise me that that pressure has flipped to be a mental health issue. It's kind of like, at what point does all of these pressures pile up to be too much just for the average human? And and I think we've all felt moments in the last two years where we haven't known how to navigate it. I mean, I, I think I went on record to say really early on, there's no rule book with this thing. And you're sitting in front of 400, 1,000 people and they're asking you questions like, when's this going to end? And you're like, I, I'm not the government. I can't answer this. I can only give you the clarity that I know or what I think to be true but none of us have been trained or have read the the Harvard Business Review on how to do this because it's happening right here and right now and I think that's the case for every part of our business so newness a lot of inter intermixing of pressures personal and professional yeah is it manifesting itself in 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 sort of horrible ways probably but is that surprising no not to me yeah no and it's a valid point to as a caveat for for covid amy i I take your point on that but i think that 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 this conversation was happening even pre-covid where it was sort of mental health versus pressure but let's get to the digital media bit right so i'm you know it's fascinating what's going on now with regulators and privacy and the and how the, the the mood is shifting on on uh how much personal identifiable information um where the industry and, and companies and everyone in between can do. So um, I'm, I'm interested, uh, how substantial will digital media uh, have to change for the new era of privacy disclosure and consent? And does that change everything for in, a, in at least in a digital media context? Both your thoughts on that would be, would be uh, um, interesting. What we're going to go through is not just an evolution of where we've been, you know, with the cookie and the way we approach it. It's a complete evolution. And we're looking at the biggest businesses in the world grappling to solve it, right? These are trillion-dollar companies that are throwing everything at going, how do we navigate the new world? Well, they started They they started it, to be honest, Pat, but anyway. They did. They did. But 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 they, they did. But now we're evolving it to be doing the thing that puts the customer in the heart of it and give the customer control, right? And that has been driven by legislation and lots of other things. But what I'm saying is it's going to be a fundamental shift and I think we're all navigating our way through it. But customer benefit and customer control will be at the heart of it and how we navigate it will depend on the size of the client, the category of the client and the, 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 the you know, how advanced they are in how they navigate digital media moving forward. And that's why we need people in our group like Amy's, Ryan Menzies and his team to help us all navigate that because there's a million ways to take it. Amy? Yeah, and I think the, fa- the fact that the path has changed a couple of times gives you a view of the complexity of it. I, I, I don't think it's... Whilst yes, this has been created, I think we've all we've all utilised it and leveraged it to the nth degree, and and the, therefore to kind of find a way out of it that's not not going to shut down the entire way that we do marketing is the challenge. I think what what was announced today is a really um, smart way forward uh, in terms of the data staying in the browser and enabling it to be kind of gone after three weeks but there's a sense of you're still able to utilize that for information is really interesting i think what also it's going to force us to do is to think about the value exchange more than ever between customers and a brand to think about the importance of that sort of crm system in the way we probably did 20 30 years ago the way we nurtured a customer and looked after them and and spoke to them rather than relying on sort of blunt 
um, digital ads that we just sprayed across the internet and hope they stuck. I, I think it's going to potentially allow us to think back, think think through how we deliver comms in a, in a more interesting way in the future and how we be more creative about it. When you talk about, Amy, about, you know, because I hear this a lot, you know, the fear of, of an entire industry being shut down or not, you know, basically, yeah, shut down basically. But don't forget that there's an entire industry that did it differently and the current way shut down the previous way. So it's not like we haven't had, we don't have big cycles and big structural changes here that, you know, the sky's falling in because we have to change everything. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It wasn't intended that, that that's a negative. And I think, the thing that we or I love about this industry is it's never the same, right? Like if it was the same, same all the time, you wouldn't you wouldn't have to continually reinvent the way we do things. I, I didn't mean that as the whole world's going to shut down. I meant as almost a point a point of departure into a new new era, and that doesn't have to be a negative. It can be a real positive thing because I think consumers having control over their data see, data and privacy is. A, a really positive thing for the future, and it's what we need to sort of set ourselves up for that ne- for the next year of advertising. Right, and I would argue that you know we, we talk about customer first for since I've been covering this industry as a journal for twenty something five years, customer first. Well, I'd argue the digital sector w- was not doing customer first at all. It was self interest in that they could do something faster, cheaper, and get results. It's not saying that didn't work, but it wasn't customer first. Now we may have some more authentic alignment to what's in, what's important for the customer. Uh, Pat, you got any thoughts on that? Oh, no, I agree with you, Paul. I I think that we're going to be having this conversation next year and in five years after that and in 10 years after that because of the the trajectory of of the digital landscape. You know, we're talking Web.3, we're talking Metaverse, we're talking all that stuff, and that is going to land us in another place. So I think it's an interesting debate. It's a great debate. All your points are valid for sure, Um, but I'm just as excited by Amy about wherever we land, it's another challenge for us to fix and solve for marketers, forgetting about where the ill intent or the bad ways came from that you're implying. It was, we'll solve it and we'll move forward. And I think that's the challenge for all of us. And just and just to add to that, the point that you made around you know digital advertising sort of milking the system that existed, I think the flip side of that conversation is equally interesting that many clients that we work with didn't have the connectivity of their data streams to be able to talk to the customer um, in a customer first way. And a lot of work in the last three to five years has happened there. And that's probably the biggest transformation I've seen is, is our client base really cleaning up their infrastructure to enable a much more a much more clear a clearer, sorry, single view of a customer to be able to have a more meaningful conversation is probably where I was going poor more than the, the ad market. Yep, no fair call. Is the the, the the sort of the initiative that I mentioned uh, in the setup around what Essence has been doing with Google uh, around AI and the Guardian and other publishers around, you know, basically using AI to, to understand contextual uh, environments? I mean, I'm not saying that's the next new thing, but that is the sort of direction we're, we're all going to head. It's back to the future, right? It really is. It's 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 in a digital in a digital marketplace. How do we match environment to message with machine smarts based on context and the environment? That's how we always planned media before the internet was invented. So I think it I think it is going to be a part of the mix moving forward. Definitely, those kind of technologies and, and ways of working. Okay, one quick question, on AI. But there's another. That's a whole new. We 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 covered a, a piece with ANZ you know, and their marketing team and their their brand academy and their marketing academy, building capability with their marketers about understanding not just how you can deploy AI for a campaign or initiative, but understanding to identify bias in AI, which suddenly gets to a whole new layer of, you know, 
things that we've got to be across. Ethical ethics and um, yeah, so I mean that that's clearly got to be something your people have, uh, are going to have to be across. You know, in the next in coming couple of couple of years. I mean, if we believe the point of singularity, um, you know, and some are predicting that, that we're you know machines and humans next to stage of evolution, and it's not by crazy saying that either. I wish they were crazies. I'm not sure I'm into it, but um, it's happening. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. So you know, there's a new whole new nuanced. Uh, and or demand there for, for on your people as well for our people for sure. Look, I think as we sort of touched on, the whole way that we're we're working is fundamentally going to have to change. And thinking about bias in AI is a, it's a fascinating thing, right? Because you've almost built something to find commonality, and then you're asking. I mean, I'm sure you can program that, right? Like to go, okay, now find the difference. And I think as we move forward, what we need to be almost thinking is that the more that we try and streamline how we work, what are the gaps that it's creating, all the problems that's potentially there that we can navigate our way out of. But that's going to be an endless list, right? Endless. I agree with you. Listen, we've got. To, I could clearly could keep asking questions. Um, let's wrap it up with this one, which is: um, What are your biggest observations uh, and the biggest things you see brands and marketers grappling with right now? What's their top? What's what's the client agenda? What's going on in brands? And and if you do have can throw in there something about challenges and opportunities for for uh, tech media, tech and media. Do so, but you know th- th- we could go on for another thirty minutes. So just um, Amy, I'll start with you. Yeah, look, the topics are broad. One of the conversations we've been having a lot over the last couple of days is we've come out of this climate of almost the strangest two years that business has ever experienced in this country. Some of it to huge benefit and growth. Some of it to unrealised growth because of supply chain issues. And one of the things we're spending a lot of time on is the strategy that you've deployed, regardless of what it is, you've invested through the pandemic, you've pulled back spend during the pandemic, but the way that plays out in the next 18 months, I think is going to be fascinating and us understanding the impact that our strategy had against that and then how do we prepare for the years that follow when you can't look back on the last two years as your baseline is is probably one of the things we're spending a lot of energy on is well what it what does the future look like for each and every one of our businesses and categories that potentially have been dormant or or that have spiked um there's a lot in the human area so whether that's from a diversity and inclusion the future of work conversation i I think i said to you that we've developed this big program every client i meet is going i don't know how or i'm grappling with how i manage my workforce into the future i sat in a room with 25 ceos two weeks ago big business and all of them are trying to figure this out. They've got work from anywhere. Where do we connect and culture? How do we manage a workforce remotely? Like it, Everyone's trying to get the equilibrium right on that to give people the flexibility and freedom that they potentially have enjoyed over the last two years, but bring people together for those moments that enable us to connect and build team and build culture and how you get that balance right. Fascinating. Um and part of that is we've spent our whole career talking about managing culture. But have we really been managing culture in the last two years or have we just been managing people and workload and pressure? And what does that mean as we go forward? And then the, the flip side to that conversation is we've kind of moved from talking about culture to talking about purpose. And I don't think we're unique in that. But it feels like something that no matter where you are and no matter who you are, you have a part to play. Whereas if you're not in the office or if you're only in one day a week, the cultural piece becomes very varied. So I think that's a conversation that that we're, we're deeply in. Um, and then 
the data and tech piece is an ongoing focus. And I think what's interesting about Essence is the conversation that we're having, and we've had it three or four times over the last two days, is here's what Essence is. And now the conversation we're having is where are you at in that journey and which bits are relevant? And I think that's that's interesting to me because it's sort of the conversation we've been having for years where clients are investing a lot of money in their MarTech. And now the conversation is, are we deploying it the right way? How are we getting the most out of it? What does that look like as we move forward? And that's no different to the essence proposition for me. It's we've got all this in our, in our toolkit. How are we going to unlock it for our clients? So big part of how we move forward is that. Of, is, is around that. Um, sustainability, you touched on it. I don't think I've left a meeting with a client over the last two weeks that says they're not grappling with what that means for them in every category. What role do they want to play in it? What can they meaningfully do from an action point of view? What's coming from global? What's coming from local? How do they make that meaningful for, for the Australian market? Big area of topic conversation for us. So, I mean, there's some of the things that yeah, rich conversations I've been having. Absolutely. Very quickly, what's your hunch? Do you have a hunch yet on, you know, work from home, work in the office, the splits? We've had this conversation a year ago. Has your, has your perspective shifted and what you think is going to land? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, look, I think trying to force people back in is is the wrong way. Is I think what, what the way that we've tried to go about it is – we are better face-to-face, there's no question. Getting stuff done, I mean, Pat's coming here today because we had stuff to do, you know, getting stuff done is better face-to-face and creating culture is better face-to-face. So we've tried to do that work that says these are the moments that matter to us and these are the moments we want you in. And then as a team, the team have gone, well, these are how we collaborate best, here on person, here virtually. This is when we come in as a team. And then individually, you know, I want to be home for my kids to put them to bed. That's important to me. But everyone else in this business has something that's important to them. So how do you get the cultural team and individual right? And I think the way we've talked about it, and we did it as all four CEOs and myself, we launched the program we're calling Strive, which is our future of work approach. And, and and we said to the guys, look, we, this is going to change. It's it's not static and we're going to need your input and we're doing a quarterly session with everyone to go, what's the feeds? How's it working? Are we? And pictures will come up and client presentations will come up and we'll need you in. But there's there's got to be the reflection that we're not going back to what it was and we don't want to. Like I don't, I don't think anyone wants to go back. It's how do you take the good parts forward and, and go back to the bits that you liked from before. Pat, your, your take on, on the big challenges, the conversations and so forth are pretty much the same as... Yeah, Amy's covered. I'll just say two things. I think you've, you've got two clients. You've got one bunch of clients that rely on the supply chain. And as Amy went, that's, that's a hard thing to navigate, how they're going to navigate the world of supply and demand and, and getting product in. Um, and, and those people have to decide where to focus their marketing efforts. Top of the funnel, if they've got no product on the store, should we maintain brand or bottom of the funnel because they've got a whole lot of stock to get out the door. So I think that's a big challenge depend because it's not a consistent constant anymore. I think the second one is, and I'm a bit of a banking nerd, as you know, but the, the economy is in a pretty fragile space, right? There's global volatility left, right and center. And I think a lot of CFOs and CEOs are going to be looking at balance sheets and kind of thinking about where they invest and what to do in the year looking forward, given interest rates, given inflation, given jobless rates, you know, given the Ukraine, there's a whole lot of stuff that's, you know, one would argue the equity market's overvalued and that can have a big effect on market capitalization and how companies are performing. So I think we've got a pretty interesting economic environment to navigate in the next 12 to 18 months. 
Final question from me, uh, and then I promise you we're shutting up the future sustainability and diversity of media. So we've seen lots of consolidation happening. We've got big mega groups, whether it be Nine, whether it be News Corp, whether it be Facebook, Google, or we've got this big consolidation power happening. But we talk about diversity and sustainability. Are small independent players going to be able to cut it in, in an, at least in an advertising-funded environment where, where you guys play, um, or is it just more consolidation, ease, lowering complexity, um, making trading uh, efficient and effective and better? Um, what's your take on that? It's a good question. I kind of wear two hats on this. Will, will the scale of consolidation drive growth for those businesses? Probably. Um, but the con- the contradictory view, so I'm sort of arguing against myself, but I do that quite a bit, is never before have I had more conversations around what's our approach to a more diverse representation on our media plan, what's your capability, what are you doing from a private marketplace point of view to target specific cultural groups, um, what's your approach to... Um, uh, matching a client's sort of corporate social responsibility plan around diversity and inclusion to your investment strategy. I'm hugely passionate about that. Don't talk to me about uh, that you've got this huge pillar of to focus on X, Y, and Z in your DE&I charter and not invest in those groups. Like it has to be, it has to, it has to walk the walk. So some of that, the onus is on us, Paul, and we've done a big piece of work and we're, we're continuing to flesh it out around how do we have that top-down conversation with a client that looks at their corporate strategy and looks at how we marry up their investment. So they're the things we need in place to make sure that we don't, I think, all collectively go down a press the button and get the right outcome, as well as all the normal work that would happen from an audience targeting, understanding where to reach these segments. But I, I think it's the it's the former for me. It's understanding what that strategy is and what the segmentation is that we're working towards and then understanding how we reach those people in meaningful ways that marry up to a broader strategy. I'll just make a quick comment before I get to, to, to Pat, which is that in your you know previous uh, regimes, management regimes at, at, at Group M have had uh, – have basically um, being for the consolidation um, argument because it's easier uh, for even the, the, your own business, media agencies, to have less players, less suppliers, less partners to deal with. So that has been a, an, you know, and, and like I remember, I don't know, look, maybe five, six, seven years ago, um, the number of media partners coming down from 700 to 70, let's make that up, let's say I made that up, but, but the quantum's there. Um, so, you know, and that's because it's an efficiency for the business, you know, for, for to do it. Okay, so I made the point, that's what I'm just saying. Though. I, I think it's fair, but I think that's come from a different time. So it's not to critique what's happened in the past, but I don't think I've ever had so many conversations about diversity and inclusion and then the impact on our industry and the responsibility we have with the investment that we have to make sure that we're recognising and speaking to people in relevant places. So, Diversity of supply, though, are you talking, or are you talking about D&I? Yeah, t- I am oh. because ha- – well, how can you talk about diversity inclusion if you're not using the channels that those audiences consume and they're not going to be necessarily mainstream channels? So, uh, uh, and uh, look, we've had, we've had probably the first meeting I had was on this in this business and there's a whole community set up and a whole proposition where we are looking at how we curate audiences to reach these people in different cultural groups across the country that's reflective of how our country is made up. And if we don't do that, we're not doing our job. So it's not to say that what's happened in the past is wrong because I just think we're in a different era. 
I think the conversations and the, what clients are demanding and should be demanding and is in their is in their strategy to deliver. It's our responsibility to make that real in our media investment. Sorry, you've hit me on a very rich topic. <laughs> we're we're coming back to it. I think it's a very well. We're we're aligned on that one, Amy. If nothing else, um, uh, Pat, your take on, on on diversity in media and uh, and whether the the consolidation goes against. Um, the forces of, of diversity. It's it. Well, you've just both said it. It's a really big topic. I, I just want to answer that by, and it, it mightn't answer diversity. It's an opinion, Paul. And I know you love opinions. Mm. I, I think what we're facing here is the Australian market's twenty five million people, and more and more of those Australians are consuming media and content from companies that are owned offshore. That may be niche. That may be big. Right, but. The globe has got smaller and smaller over time. And Amy hears me rant on about this stuff. But the, the, the requirement for us to use media companies that may not be locally listed or locally owned is becoming more and more cons- consumers are spending more and more time on them, right? And I have to go to the places where the people are. The problem I have with that is a longer tail effect on how we have how, how as a society we solve cultural issues, political issues, journalism, cover the right events, cover the right kind of issues that as a nation we have to discuss and debate and move forward. And we know that our local media industry is funded by advertising, right? But if they're reaching less and less people, and, and I'm not saying that everyone is because everyone's got their wins and successes, but if more and more people are spending their time on overseas platforms, owned platforms, we're going to have to spend more money with them to reach them, right, to drive our clients' outcomes. Um, and the, uh, the, the final point I'll say to that is these companies are getting so big that they can't succeed without being global businesses, right? We know the valuations are, are ridiculously large, even though they've come back. So you've got this like, God, I, I'm glad I'm not a media owner because I think it's a really, really difficult time to navigate purely because we've only got 25 million people and we're a – we're a market of, I don't know, $16, $17 billion in investment, right? It, it's, a, it's a tough world. And, and how that plays out determines how diverse we can be in reaching niche audiences and where we reach them to deliver client outcomes. So, so that's my take on it. Amy Buchanan, Pat Crowley, uh, really fascinating conversation. I thought I was a pretty kind. I could have gone some other places but didn't. So well done. Um, we'll come back for all those other rich conversations we touched on. Stay safe. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks for your time, Paul. Take care. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.